don't think you quite realize what you've got here. So why don't you just ruminate whilst I illuminate the possibilities? Well, Alibaba had them 40 thieves. Sherry's out, he had a thousand tails. But master, you're in luck, cause of your sleeves. You got a brand of magic never fails. You got some power in your corner now. Some heavy ammunition in your camp. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. And Carol Petz. Hello. But no Owen Hughes this week. Slacker. He is missing, absent, um, but not missed. Not this week. He's not missed one for a while, to be fair. He's not. He's not a sick note, is he? No. No. He's no Dan Anderson, uh, to be fair. <laughs> but in his absence, the quiz will remain in hiatus. I'm sure we're all, we're all gutted about that. Yeah. Um, as I'm sure you all. All you people listening managed to get the answer on the first go. I'm surprised we don't get people tweeting again. Oh, why did it take you long, so long to guess that? I got it on the first go. I'm sure Carol used to say that before she joined the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah every time. I don't think I've got one right yet, though. So. I have. I just haven't got it before anyone else. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's it's the a whole, question of time. It's the whole object of the quiz, Carol. <laughs> hate to break it to you. Uh, but yeah, so straight into the news, um, and start off the news really, the news that Batman vs Superman has been pushed back by um, the studio because he bottled it going up against Captain America 3. Yeah, in a way, I, I, I was quite surprised, but then as Carol pointed out just before we started recording... Um, would you go up against Captain America 3 at the moment? It's, uh, yeah, and it just goes to show how far the stock of Batman and Superman have not necessarily fallen, but just what an incredible job Marvel have done to manoeuvre their intellectual property into that kind of, you know, status. But if I, but was, I, ba- guess... if I was Batman and Superman <laughs> in the same film, mm-hmm. I'd be quite confident of beating Captain America. Like, because there's, there's not going to have been anything coming out of that you know, the, the DC comics in a while so the hope's probably going to be there a lot more than yeah. perhaps what there is for Marvel where they're releasing a film every year and a TV show every year every five minutes Yeah. yeah. no um, I agree No, I agree. With, I think I've, it's clearly going to do huge box office especially it's opening but at the same time they couldn't have had them both open on the same weekend. That is ludicrous. I, I think they lack the, they lack balls by backing yeah. down. But lack, lack the cojones. Someone had, someone had to move, and Marvel are the ones in the driving seat. Possession is nine tenths lot. They're the ones that basically can go go on, then go up against us. We dare you to. Um, and and I don't blame uh, Batman Superman for moving, to be honest, because. It would have it would have hurt their box office if they had gone up against it. It would have hurt Captain America's as well, um, but 
it would have hurt their box office and they, they're going to end up trying to schedule themselves against an Adam Sandler comedy or something like that just to completely demolish everything. At least we've got an answer now to the enduring nerd question, who would win in a fight between Batman and Superman and Captain America? It's clearly Captain America, isn't it? Yes. Um, but they've actually... <laughs> it's actually been moved um, forward. It's going to March 25th from May the 6th. So they've, that's a whole six weeks... Mm before Captain America, so maybe it's not such a, a cowardly move. So so people would have to... stopped people would have stopped caring about it by the time Captain America comes out. Well yeah. I, that's that's if, it. If I didn't realise they bought it forward. And that's weird, isn't it, how um kind of March time has become a bit of a a flagpole because um Captain America two was released at the end of March, wasn't it? Um and that kind of early summer period now is just as big as the the kind of late summer period for because well, it, it's bigger I think because um you, you, summer's basically over now isn't it yeah and it's and it's mid August you know yeah. you've had the last big te- you've got you've got a couple of releases coming up in a couple of weeks uh, Sin City two and Lucy and that's pretty much it yeah and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh. <laughs> which uh. do you know um <laughs> let, let's just yeah elephant in the room here. yeah I am I'm leaving the podcast in in a, in a week or so for my sabbatical but the moment that i realized i needed to take a break and get away from from this from fell critics is when i sat and i watched the teenage mutant ninja turtles trailer and i thought this doesn't look too bad um <laughs> I, I genuinely for your own safety <laughs> yeah I, I, I thought this does genuinely i think it's the the appearance of will arnott always kind of reassures me anyway because i love him to bits but I watched it and thought, oh, no, this seems all right. They're, they look a bit kind of steroidy, um, the turtle. And there was a nice little line where some editor guy says, are they aliens? And um, Megan Fox says, no, that's really stupid. They're turtles. And, was, and that, I thought that was quite a nice bit of self-awareness because like, when Michael Bay announced that he was relaunching it, everyone said that he was going to make them aliens and how that was nonsense and ridiculous. And I thought that was quite a nice little... See, you can hear it now. I'm genuinely quite warm towards this film. And that's why I need to get out of here and clear my head for a little bit. <laughs> because I'm clearly massively in the wrong here. Yeah, it's not <laughs> I'm telling you now, it's just, it's just another way of urinating all over my childhood. <laughs> it's a lovely image. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and on to the, the other bit of news uh, this week. Actually, coming from today, that Robin Williams has passed away. Uh, we're not ones on Fail Critics to go into depth or to about the reasons behind no. why he passed away. We're not going to talk about why it happened, what he did. Um, There's a load cause... of shit being said today about that anyway, to be honest. And it would just I make tried me angry, to, steer to be honest. Clear, yeah. to be because, honest. because it's basically none of our business what happened his personal life exactly it's, it's it should be of no interest to anyone other than his family and close friends what happened to him so we'll leave that there but we will talk uh, about him as an actor and his acting career uh, and the films that we've all enjoyed him in as he was a fantastic actor at the end of this podcast the last part will be it's hastily arranged but it is a triple bill us picking our favorite three Robin Williams films or performances um, but I think now we'll just talk about how good an actor he actually was and 
and what he brought to the screen. Yeah, it's um, it re- yeah, it really, really um, shook me. Uh, and it's really been a really shit year for deaths. Uh, every few weeks, we seem to be losing a genuinely brilliant actor. And but at least, at least we caught this one because they usually die about the day after we release a podcast. I know it did, this um, was this was excellent. Thank timing. God for timing. Yeah, thank <laughs> God for timing. Um, yeah, we just we we locked out there a little bit. Um, but the, I think it's simply because we're all, maybe not you guys uh, as much as me, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. getting to the age where our childhood heroes are kind of nearing mortality, it, it's it's a really shit time actually. But in terms of Robin Williams himself, yeah, what an incredible uh, comic actor. And he had a bit of a reputation of, of kind of recent-ish years of doing some rubbish films and um you know being in these really mawkish patch adams type yeah fair um but actually when you look back at his filmography he's got a huge amount of range there he's you know he's not only an oscar winner anyway yeah so he won the best supporting oscar for goodwill hunting but he was also nominated for best actor twice before that for the Fisher King and for Dead Poets Society as well. He's, he's, a, he's an excellent dramatic actor, brilliant physical comedian, fantastic mimic. Um, and he did have that that quality, which uh, I was talking to my wife Kate um, just now because we just watched World's Greatest Dad this evening for the first time, um, which was a very dark and brilliant film. Um but you can watch him even in bad, even in bad films. He's brilliant. You know, even if he's in it. And one, the example Kate gave was that nine months film with uh, Hugh Grant, which is an oh, atrocious yeah. film. But his moments are in it are, are kind of worth almost sitting through that terrible film just to see his bits. He he was absolutely incredible. He's probably one of the most versatile actors that were around, kind of, of a high standard. There's not many that can do his kind of comedy and go from, and go to kind of his kind of serious acting as well. There's not many people that can then have the range of, of doing something like Hook and Mrs. Doubtfire and then do Goodwill Hunting and Dead mm. Poet Society. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think there's Jim Carrey's another one I can think of who can do that kind of thing, but there's not many around. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Jim Carrey kind of is the, almost followed that career trajectory that Robin Williams had uh, a few years after him. Uh, And I think a lot of those great physical comedians do want to show that they can also, they've also got the dramatic chops as well. Uh, And Jim Carrey definitely has as well. He's been in some fantastic serious performances. Um, but yeah, Robin Williams is kind of the archetype. He's the he's the origin story of that whole uh, type of career transformation. And and it's really it was really nice to uh, log into. I logged into Letterboxd uh, this evening and saw a load of people having rated Robin Williams films. I went onto Facebook and people who never normally talk about films talking about how sad they were about that. And then I quickly just went onto YouTube. Um, to look for a clip. I went onto YouTube to look for the end clip of Dead Poets Society and I just went to the YouTube page and there it was sat there waiting for me, clearly because loads of people have been looking for that. And I think even more so than some of the other really sad losses we've had this year, this one resonated with an entire generation because 
he was uh, I think you said it earlier Carol um, I can't remember what you said about it basically feels like you've had that your VHS collection stars of your childhood have kind of been taken from us in a matter of months yeah yeah but yeah I think I put down uh, obviously Harold Ramis was the first mm. and then um, yeah and now Robin Williams and who was the person in the middle I can't remember, I can't uh, remember Bob Hoskins now. Bob Hoskins of course mm. yeah that's pretty much my entire childhood VHS collection just gone mm. and um, yeah it's, it's really really sad and um, also I'd like to put put in a word as well how brilliant a voice actor he was yes he was just fantastic in aladdin he's a genie and everyone yeah. everyone knows about that um but in another um film which i'm going to mention my triple bill later oh. um which is can i say it now go on yeah <laughs> um, owen's not here <laughs> which is uh, any excuse to shove this into triple bill is ai artificial intelligence mm. he's kind of the he's the um severed head uh, who's giving you kind of uh, riddles and stuff and he's just he's so eerie in it you wouldn't believe it was the genie it's it's just amazing he had he had a real i mean he's a physical comedian but actually it really came across in his voice as well yeah. he was he was excellent at it i mean he, yeah he could play he could play a number of of roles and, and characters he did creepy quite well as well didn't he in films like kind of insomnia um, yeah which yeah, he seems to be quite underrated, but he's he's very creepy in that. He does that really well. Yeah, Insomnia, uh, one hour photo, another one of those, which is just really, yeah, he yeah he inhabited that really 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 well. And yeah, like, as you said right at the beginning, actually a really really versatile actor. Um, yeah, he he could handle the comedy, he could handle proper drama, but he could also be quite terrifying as well, and that's that's a sign of a great actor. His his Oscar acceptance speech was was brilliant compared with some of the mawkish yes. speeches you get. His was just unreal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I, yeah, he he genuinely. I, I always love watching him being interviewed as well. Um, and his stand up as well. Um, a friend of mine uh, when I was thirteen, fourteen, lent me some of his stand up albums on on cassette tape. Uh, again. I some I didn't get half the references. Uh, they were quite Americanized. They're quite adult, um, but at the same time, I just fell in love with this voice and this this flow of storytelling that he had. He he was a man of huge uh, huge talent and and varied talent as well. His bit about how Scottish people invented golf is hilarious. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, do you know what everyone? After you've listened to this, obviously, um, just go on YouTube and have one of those evenings where you just go and search for things that he did. Um, I, that's that's probably what I'm going to do after this, to be honest. Uh, tribute's been coming in from everywhere, though, haven't they? I mean, even Barack Obama. Has, I know. Has, has... He loves getting in on an old, on a good old tribute, though. Obama, he's yeah. he's all over them. It was a good tribute, though. To be fair, yeah, he is very good, good at it. Yeah, uh, and Disney. Disney's tribute, in in terms of the kind of poster or image they released, was was really good. I don't know if anyone's seen that yet. Basically, the, I haven't. The, it's basically a poster of just the kind of genie's lamp from Aladdin, with some kind of stars coming out of the lamp or starter. It's better than what I describe, obviously. But, <laughs> uh, but that that was quite a nice touch as well because there was quite a public fallout between Williams and Disney after. Yes. Aladdin, uh, and obviously they did reconcile their differences much later on, 
But yes. it would have been quite easy for Disney to just kind of blanket and or not say anything. They no. don't have to say, you know, there's not everybody has said anything. So not, you know, they don't have to, but they did make yeah. a, a, a quite a nice gesture. Disney um, seem to be a quite um, on the ball company these days, actually. Um, and yeah, fair play to them. Um, but yeah, obviously a, a terrible loss, terrible shame. Thoughts that he's got a few he's... films in post production as well, which um, wasn't will be he, interesting. Wasn't he reprising his role in the, the Night of the Museum film? He, yeah, he's he Teddy was. Roosevelt, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's he... Mickey Rooney and Robin Williams in that film, isn't it? God, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, yeah, he uh, Angriest Man in Brooklyn is in post production, a film that he made with uh, Mila Kunis, I believe. I think that's being shown at the Jewish Film Festival. If it goes ahead, there's a whole oh, right, problem okay. with the with the funding from it. But, oh, um, okay, yeah. That's been that's been announced as one of the films. Uh, and apparently, obviously, this won't happen now. But apparently, um, he'd been pretty much signed on to do a sequel to Mrs. Doubtfire next year, but obviously. I'm, I doubt that's going to go ahead now in any kind of shape or form. Um, but yeah, no, really, really, really will be sadly missed. Yeah, and of course our thoughts go out to mm. his family and anyone close to him, anyone mm-hmm. who knew him. Of course. Uh, up next, uh, we will have uh, some reviews of new cinematic releases. The Inbetweeners 2 and Planes 2. <laughs> So, in part two of the podcast, we're going to review a couple of uh, new releases in the cinema this week. James has seen Planes 2, the sequel to Planes, which is a spin-off of Cars. Um, <laughs> yeah, which, something like which, that. But, but Cars was Pixar and Planes was just Disney, but uh, yeah. it's, a whole um, me- it's a whole mess of crap that no one cares about. What was the film like? Okay, yeah, so um, I, we've got a clip here. Let's, let's at least listen to yeah. a clip first and then... Yeah. that was the clip then of planes 2 yes Uh, Uh, it's it's full title i think is planes 2 fire and rescue um and 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 you've not seen plane i've not seen planes um um, so i tried to get my daughter because i took my um three and a half year old uh actually no she's nearly four now um but i took my daughter to to watch it at the odeon this weekend Uh, it was a rainy day and yeah, I thought, you know what, I'll take it to the cinema. Do you want to go and see this film about planes? Oh, all right then. Um, I, it wasn't frozen, so she wasn't completely happy. But we went along. Um, the, I tried to get her to watch Planes, the original film, first. Um, she refused. Uh, so <laughs> that was kind of it. So I was, like, I was a bit worried I'd go in uh, without not knowing... Not, not- the not backstory, the characters, yeah, you know, it's, it's obviously going to be complex. It, yeah, exactly. I was like, I needn't have worried. Um, apparently, in the first film, uh, a crop sprayer, Dusty Crop Hopper, um, 
cops playing plane. It takes place in the Cars universe, but it's focused on planes. But you do see cars in it as well. Um, um, but and, any cameos from our our favourite? At one point in the cars. showing, at one point in the cinema, I didn't see it, but Cecilia, my daughter, shouted out "Lightning McQueen!" But it might just have been a red car. I don't know. Uh, but. So I, I need to check on that. But there was um, the only voice that carried over from the Cars universe is um, Guy from Cheers, who's in every Pixar film. Can't remember his name now. John Ratzenberger. Yes. Um, so he was he had a thing in it. He might have been the same character as he was in Planes. I don't know. Um, and basically, yeah, in the first film, this crop duster becomes a kind of a, a plane racing champion, a bit like those Red Bull uh, kind of racing things that happen so he becomes a world champion um bit like cars in a way uh and this conti- this is this is basically backdraft meets cars um that's that's how i'm sure that's how it was pitched um so this crop duster who is a world champion racer his gearbox starts going wrong and he's told he can't race anymore and at the same time his local town uh, airport has an accident and is shut down because they don't have enough people to be fire planes or something i don't know the exact name of them so he says right i'm gonna go and train now i've been a world champion racer i'm gonna train and be a uh, a fire and rescue plane and so essentially you've got the classic story of an arrogant young punk uh being trained by a gruff um old man again very much like cars uh in a way uh who's ed harris plays him this guy called blade ranger who who it turns out also had a past as a famous vehicle. He was in a TV show. Again, a bit like Cars, where Doc had a famous past. You can see the similarities here, hugely, except instead of a big race, there's a big fire disaster um, up in the mountains. And our hero has, you know, he's, he's clearly not ready, but they haven't got enough planes. So he has to go out and he has to prove himself and yada, yada, yada. Uh, happy ending job done um it's a decent enough kids film uh, it's not like some of the pixar films where y- you genuinely do have something for all the family there there are a few jokes in here which would have gone over youngsters heads which it, it did that the pixar thing i think when pixar do it well they don't actually really put adult jokes in there their jokes work for the whole family you know, kids can get them and adults find them funny. Whereas I think a lot of other animation studios have gone down the route of, here's a kid's film, we'll throw in a few jokes which will completely go over the kids' heads. Uh, and there was a, a little bit of that uh, with this one. Uh, it was quite interesting looking out for a few of the, the voices. John Michael Higgins did a voice. Fred Willard did a voice. It's always nice to hear Fred Willard's voice in a, uh, in a film. But on the whole, it looked nice. Uh, the fire scenes looked particularly good. I learned a little bit about how they deal with forest fires, so it was a little bit educational as well. But like I said, it was just a, a the plot was just a really, really obvious retread of every other plot like this film ever. Um, and while watching it, after 40 minutes, my daughter started saying to me, is it finished yet? And then she turned around and she swapped seats about four times. So a three and a half year, three and a half to four year old also thought it was a bit boring, but I don't know. Some kids might love it. It's only an hour and 20 minutes long. It's decent enough in terms of its production values. Yeah, it's all right. It's, it's not the worst film I've seen this year by a long stretch, but 
at the same time, it's it's nowhere near the... St- it's not even as good as Cars, which I think most people see as the kind of lower half of the Pixar output. So it, it's not as good as Cars, but do you know what? It's better than Cars 2. High that praise sounds indeed. Like, <laughs> that sounds like an epically long... So hang on. There's a helicopter pilot. He learns. He's learning how to be... Not a pilot. Uh, an actual, Sorry, not a pilot. Yeah, no, yeah. actually... actually a, <laughs> he's, he's a crop a dusting plane. He's a, he's a little plane. But he's privileged, and then he decides to go off and do um, like rescue people yeah. in need. Sounds Prince, like Prince William. Prince William. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> Some epic long form piss taking going on from Disney. Here. Wow. Yeah. No, I hadn't thought about that actually. That's that's cool. And yeah, I hope. Yeah, I hope that that did have an element there. So it's backdraft meets cars meets the British royal family. Job Brilliant. Done. <laughs> um. So, yeah, and then on to another new release, film that we've all seen, uh, The Inbetweeners 2. Here's a clip. I can't wait to get a job training dolphins, even though it is pretty bad how they're treated. Did you know all they feed them is raw fish? Oh, that is grim. I'd puke if all I ate was fish. They'd bang out of order. Imagine it, just raw fish. Their diet is fish. Yeah, because that's all they're given. But also because that's what they eat. It's so cruel, you know? No burgers, no KFC, no Nando's on birthdays, nothing. How would you like it? Well, if all I ate was fish, I probably wouldn't mind it. All right, yes or no, how would you like to just eat raw fish? Well, if I was a dolphin... Yes or no? Look, you can't compare... Yes, yes or, or no. no? These people are marine biologists. Yes or yes no? Only no. raw fish, yes, yes or, or no? No? Correct. So that was a clip then of the Inbetweeners 2. Um... Obviously following on from a successful three-series sitcom and um, an incredibly successful uh, first movie, for especially for a British comedy. Um, and Which really is the good... reason we're back here, let's be honest. Yes, because, <laughs> because none of the cast seemed keen to make this film, although they did in the end. Um, yeah. they, said, they said it was a script, I'm not too sure, <laughs> after watching the film. Um, but, you know, the first, the first film... Was was really was a, it wasn't the best you know it's not the greatest comedy or even British comedy all the time but it was a very funny film. I was very uh, pleasantly in, surprised in, by the first in film in keeping with the sitcom, which was excellent. Hmm. Um, this second film, I thought it was awful. I barely laughed. I probably laughed two or three times throughout the whole thing, and I can't even remember what it was about now. Like, <laughs> like what I laughed about. That's how bad I found it. I just found it. To me, it just seemed like an English parody of an American Pie film. It was yeah. It, it, the, it, the, some of the characters had become too exaggerated. Mm-hmm. So Jay is always the bullshitter in the group. He's yeah. telling all these to lies and stories and exaggerating most of the time how how many women he shagged. But generally, he lies and exaggerates everything to make himself seem cooler. In this film, he's obviously the same. But the lies you were telling were so stupid, it just made me think this isn't this isn't in keeping with you know, it's so unbelievable that he couldn't even bullshit his mates into believing this. Yeah. Like, uh, it was, that opening montage is Yeah. It just didn't feel like the in between. It just felt just felt just felt I was watching this oh this is crap, this is an awful way to start this film. Um Will's character became over exaggerated because he's the same character, but he was too confident. There's no way he would have kind of done or said half the things that he did. He wouldn't have ever picked up a guitar to play a song for a girl in the TV series. That's not what his character is. Mm, yeah. Um, 
Simon and but, Nick's... But also, it didn't feel like natural progression of their character either. No. In the same way that in the Alan Partridge film, for example, um, Alan Partridge does a lot of stuff that he wouldn't have done in I'm Alan Partridge, but you can trace how his character got there. Whereas, yeah, with mm. this, you're exactly right. It's... I, I, I do think the writing in the TV series was actually very quite... It was really fully realised. They were proper um, flawed characters. Right? No, you, you are correct. They were... They're caricatures by this point. And, and yeah, quite, they're almost... Quite yeah. paper-thin caricatures as well. Yeah, not only does it kind of seem a parody of an American pie film, but it seems a parody of the Inbetweeners as mm. well. Um, I mean, Neil and Simon's characters remain pretty much the same. Simon's just got a, more of a dickhead of a girl that he's following around than Carly was in the first film of the TV series and you just think well, if he's put, why would he put up with that it just doesn't make any sense why he would when you know he, um, but anyway that was just what it, it, the, the kind of humour seemed to change it seemed to be more like gross out humour and slapstick humour like mm. in the TV series the first one they never really went for any humour like um, obviously I know there was a scene in the TV series with Simon's testicle hanging out of a pair of speedos but it was never kind of anything like Neil's bollocks hanging out of a skirt like in the over, over a pool table like in this one and a dog licking them it just didn't seem right for yeah I mean I know the in between isn't kind of it's not exactly Frasier in terms of humour in terms of highbrow <laughs> but it but it just seemed a bit too kind of no and and actually in the TV brow. series when they did do that they tended to actually try and push a few buttons like you know one of the episodes where they hit a girl in a wheelchair with a frisbee uh, it just yeah, you know, that's actually that that's not just physical humor. That's that's quite uncomfortable and cringeworthy. Whereas this mm. was actually well, we've seen stuff like this quite often. It, you think it's a bit risque, but it's not actually really that risque. You're not take it, it's not risky. There you go. Uh, it, it might be a bit risque, but it's not risky humor. Yeah, pretty much. I think I think also it really suffered because when I went to see it, I've, I've only seen it this evening there were probably less than 12 people in the cinema with me. So at some points I was actually laughing, but no one else was. That's, I'm not yeah, sure that, what that, that says about I saw me. in quite a full cinema, actually. <laughs> That's because you're same... mental, though, Carol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't hate it as much as Steve, I'll be honest. I thought it, I th- I thought it was more pointless than, than bad. Um, I didn't see why they'd come back to do this. The story itself isn't much. Um, and what, what I was thinking is, um, actually, even though I'd, I'd hate, honestly, in real life, I would hate to go on the kind of Greek lads holiday that they went in on in the first film. It still made it look like they were having fun. And it, but it's it a natural it's... progression as well, isn't it? Yeah. But as someone, like... who's, as someone who's been on that kind of holiday, they did kind of, Get it, capture right. the spirit. I'm yeah. not, just, I, just I can a, imagine that as well. Just, a, just as they captured the spirit of in a TV series being, being in between, yeah. being somewhere between popular and unpopular. Um, Whereas this didn't of, make yeah. me want to go to Australia. This didn't make me want to back. This didn't make me want to travel. And I'd, and so it, so in that sense, it didn't capture the spirit. I think of what it was trying to do. Um, the other thing in this as well, and the first film did very well, is. It was all characters, uh, even the supporting people. Here they were all stereotypes, and I found it difficult to like anyone in the film. Mm. Um, and this is, again, where I think this film has made a, a big misstep in the sense that um, 
and I I know Callum's kind of mentioned this in a way in his review on the website. Um, in the first film, the four girls they were kind of chasing after um, were all quite fully realised characters, and they weren't horrible. Uh, in fact, they were. You kind of wanted the guys to end up with them. You thought it would be quite nice. Whereas in this film, um, the girls that they're kind, yeah, you know, particularly what the girl that Will's going after, for example, is a horrible tease. Um, Simon's girlfriend is an absolute psycho. Um, <laughs> like, a, a, like a proper, uh, I think a caricature psycho. It's not a realistic. It, it, she didn't strike me as a realistic person in any shape or form. It was almost kind of like they went, yeah, what would a psycho woman do? Oh, she'd do this. Oh, it doesn't, setting fire to someone's trainers and sending them a vine of it. That's, that's just not normal. That, it's just bizarre. Uh, mm. it didn't strike me as realistic. Um, and, and there was just, there, I wasn't rooting for anyone to do anything. That that was it. I, I didn't want them. I didn't have anything for to root for almost because Jay's quest to kind of meet up with his uh, his old girlfriend is a complete MacGuffin and is forgotten almost. As, you know, it's it, it, it in a way it was kind of lazy plotting, um, lazy story writing. The whole thing seemed a bit lazy. That said, I did laugh a few times and a, and a few times in spite of myself as well. And there's probably two set pieces that I really laughed at. One um, kind of in a hostel late at night, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. The, yeah, I did yeah, laugh. With a great well. <laughs> payoff on that. Um, and and actually a, a scene on the water slide, which a lot of people have been talking about. Actually, the payoff I wasn't necessarily laughing at, but the, the build-up to that. Actually, yeah. I found myself laughing in spite of. Uh, I was like, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but sod it, I am. I'm finding this quite funny. But those moments were very, very few and far between. There weren't, there weren't many clever lines. There used to be a lot of clever lines, and there just weren't as many clever lines. And I like to say that beginning bit of Jay's montage of him being a, a superstar DJ. So like, you hit on, you hit the nail on the head. In the TV series, Jay made up bullshit, which was obviously bullshit. But had a had a ring of truth about it. Could conceivably, in you know, happen if everything went absolutely his way. But the way he described his opening uh, of his life in Australia was like, well, that's nonsense. Uh, and mm. it, it was, it was almost like they tried to do everything bigger and badder and better than the previous films. And actually, the series is. Um, successes and I think its charm came from its very small town roots yeah it just it just didn't work for me on a kind of any level like you said I laughed a few times I could probably count the amount of times I laughed on one hand there were there, I mean it's open to massive success it's, it's broken some records um, in terms of box office takings for I think for a comedy in Britain um, there were people laughing a lot more than I was in the cinema so, you know, if people are enjoying it, who am I to judge? Mm. But for me, it wasn't in the same spirit as the the other in-betweeners stuff that we've had. Um, and it just wasn't as good. It just didn't feel like the in-betweeners. On the other hand, though, guys, we're not the target audience, are we? Well, Let's be I say, honest. you say that, I, I, pro- I, I probably was when the in-betweeners TV series came out. It came out while I was at uni, so I was you know, not too much older than what they were you know, portraying mm. on the screen. I, I love the TV series. 
love the first film. They've, E4 have been showing loads of the TV series lately because obviously it's channel. It's mm. a channel. It's a channel. It's film four, four isn't it? Yeah. Film four. So they've been, you know, trying to push it by playing the TV series. And I've been laughing at that while I've been watching it. Again, mm. so you know, it's not like it's a, it's not aimed at me, and it's not like it's something I shouldn't like. I should like it in theory. I should have liked it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I see what you said. I, I I see both points of view. I. I yeah. That there, there were people laughing at a lot of it in my screening, um, and it was clearly resonating with a lot of people. But at the same time. I, I just feel a bit. I think I feel like it's a wasted opportunity. I really do. And if you were going to do it, do you want know actually? What I would be interested to see is if in ten, fifteen years' time they then came back. That I'd, 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 I'd actually like to see how that would work. But this just this just felt like too casual a retread for me. If, it, if if they come back in ten or fifteen years' time, it's going to be a parody of Grown Ups. <laughs> no one wants to see that. Yeah, there you go. It could be an English parody of grown. This was an English parody of American Pie. Ten or fifteen years time, be an English parody of grown ups. Okay, and yeah, also, a personal bugbear of mine. Can people please stop using "sorry" as some sort of shorthand for smug twats living in Southeast? I hate it. Surrey is a nice place to live. Just because you've got some sort of Trustafarian in your film who's got dreadlocks doesn't mean he comes from Surrey. No, they come from all over the south of England. Message ends. It's, <laughs> it's not just at all. I notice it in loads of things. It really annoys me. So if anyone important is listening to this, stop using Surrey as shorthand for smug idiots. Where would you like them to use? Kent. Kent. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, uh, specifically think... Sheppy. Okay, I hope I hope uh, cinema have taken that on board. The whole of cinema, please yeah, take this of... on board. Mm. Uh, whether they have or not remains to be seen. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's all for um, what we've been watching, or well, what was eventually our new release section of the podcast. Uh, and after this break, we will have our triple bill, looking at our favourite Robin Williams films. So, for the final part of this podcast, then, is Triple Bill. Um, and obviously, as we mentioned in the news at the start of the podcast, uh, we've heard the sad news that Robin Williams has passed away. Uh, so, in his honour, in his memory, we're going to do a Triple Bill of our favourite Robin Williams films or performances. Um, so James, why don't you kick us off with this one? Okay, yeah. I think this is our our kind of our minutes applause style uh, of celebrating someone's work rather than the minutes silence, which is is nice because, as you said at the beginning, let, let's talk about how brilliant he was. Um, I think I, um, I can't remember if I mentioned earlier. I, I first started watching him on repeats of Mork and Mindy on Channel Four uh, during the school holidays, and you know, just his incredible um, his incredible physical comedy there uh, and. And I think I, quite a lot. Of, I think quite a lot of his lines, not just in Morgan Mindy, but in a lot of what he did, was improvised. As imp- as well. Yeah, that's it. He just had an incredibly quick mind, um, and just wasn't afraid. To, and the great thing, he wasn't afraid to try and fail. You know, he just keep just keep going until he struck upon something, and that's that's absolutely brilliant. And I, I know I'm I'm certain, I'm a bit older than you guys, um, and so I got into him before he started making kids films. Um, 
apart from I suppose you could argue Popeye. I don't know. It's a weird one that one. Um, but uh, so when I was kind of ten, eleven, I watched um, Good Morning Vietnam and absolutely loved it because there was essentially this guy being incredibly funny and also incredibly rude to superiors and um, that kind of anarchic role kind of played out throughout his career he played that role very very well and so the first one i want to talk about is um from 1989 his first oscar uh, nomination uh oh captain my captain it's dead poet society it's set uh those of you who haven't seen it set in an elite prep school at the end of 1950s it's directed by peter weir and starred robin williams as an unorthodox and charismatic english teacher guiding a group of young men through the travails of growing up in a very, very entitled atmosphere. Um, looking back now, you may look at it and think it seems a little bit cliched. There's the whole kind of tearing pages out of notebooks. Uh, uh, it probably seems cliched because it's been parodied so much. Exactly. Since. That's the thing. This is this is kind of patient zero for most of these tropes. That, that's the thing. Um you know, blurring those lines between student and teacher, the, the lovely scene where he's getting them to shout carpe diem, seize the day at the tops of their voices, all while railing against authority. This has now been done loads and loads, but this was one of the first films to actually do it. Um, and what I've done in my triple B, I've tried to cover kind of the different ranges of Robin Williams. Uh, and for me, this is him in one of his most complete performances. He's funny, he's charming. He's capable of great drama and I would follow him anywhere in that film. He is so uh, charismatic in it. Absolutely brilliant film. Um, my second film then um, is a different facet of his acting and it's Robin Williams as Creepy Psycho. Uh, he, and again, he, we mentioned that earlier. He played the creepy psycho brilliantly and the the film i've gone for is insomnia which is i could have put one hour photo in here but i think christopher nolan's uh, remake of the norwegian film is, is the better film and weirdly it's one of those things i usually hate uh, an american remake of a foreign language film which doesn't really do much different with it but it gives us the chance to see al pacino i think owen mentions uh, owen mentioned online earlier uh it's al pacino probably al pacino's last great performance and it's al pacino Robin Williams facing off on, on top form. So, sod it, I don't care if it's a remake in that case. Uh, that, it, again, if you don't know the film, Pacino plays an LA homicide detective sent with his partner up to Alaska to investigate a murder. And while they're chasing the suspect, uh, Pacino accidentally shoots his partner dead. And the rest of the film is a very kind of cold, uh, tense cat and mouse thriller in which Pacino the cop is suffering from insomnia. Hey, that's the name of the film. And uh, because he's got uh, stress and also because Alaska's in permanent daylight. Um, and he's having basically to work with the real murderer, Robin Williams, because he witnessed the killing of his partner to cover that up. And it's a very, very tense. Uh, and I think it's a very underrated Nolan film, actually. Uh, it's, it's the only Nolan film which he didn't have any part of writing the script with but uh, I, I think it's a, a really really good film yeah I've, I've seen it it's a long time since I've seen it but yeah. I've seen it and it was really good two great performances in kind of lead roles mm. um, and Hilary Swank it, uh, was really good in it as well actually I think it was probably the first time because I hadn't seen I haven't seen Dead Poets Society I've seen Goodwill mm. Hunting but I hadn't seen it until after I'd seen it so it's probably the first time um, 
with possibly the exception of Good Morning Vietnam, where he kind of mixes his kind of performance. So it's probably the first time I've seen him playing solely a serious, like creepy but non-comedic role. Yeah. Very. Oh yeah. Very very strange. And it's kind of you kind of like Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Basically. And you kind of think, like when when you're kind of grown up watching Robin Williams in kids films mm. and you don't really know of him from serious films, but you sit and you see he's playing a psycho, like a killer. Yeah, that's, that's can't be. And you watch and you think, oh, he's really good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's Mrs. Doubtfire. Well, yeah, yeah, um, yeah the, the the horror film uh, trailer that they made out of Mrs. Doubtfire is kind of it's amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant, yeah. and you do genuinely get that sense of creepiness from that as well. Um, and then my my last pick, um, I, I, my last my final pick is going to be Williams at his absolute best. It's his he's he's is freewheeling and uh, improvisational best. Uh, as Carol mentioned earlier, um, he's a brilliant physical comedian, but um, his voice acting is incredible as well. And I'm, it's an obvious choice, but um, Aladdin, um, he plays the genie in Aladdin. Now, I didn't see Aladdin properly until a few years ago, because uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, re- I'm old. Um, so when Aladdin came out, I was 12. And I think at that age, the pretentious me was desperately trying to prove that I was too grown up for kids' films. So I didn't see Aladdin as a 12-year-old. Obviously, while I was a student, I ironically liked kids' films because that was the kind of thing to do. And then I finally grew up and started accepting some of these Disney classics for the great films they are. And this is one of them. Um, but in spite of the catchy songs and the decent plots and the, the nice animation, it's actually Williams who steals the show as the genie and that... I think you alluded to it earlier, Steve, with the the fact that Robin Williams and Disney fell out over this. Mm, he stole he stole exactly twenty five percent of the show. Yes, uh, and nothing else. <laughs> and it, it's really interesting. Did, did, did the actor signed up to play the genie? Yes, and, that, yeah. that's it. Because he he did it as a because he had toys coming out and he didn't want to kind of. He said something like step on like, that uh, toy, did, did uh, step on do, that toes. Did, did he do Aladdin as a favour to someone? Um, he said that he didn't want to take he didn't want his take up more than twenty five percent of the dialogue and twenty five percent of the poster, and then something happened where. Basically, on all the posters, Disney just put a big picture of the genie and everyone else really small. Yeah, that's it. The genie took up 25% of the poster, but everyone took up about 5%. So they, but then, uh, yeah, they, they broke their contract with him essentially. Uh, and it really upset because it's quite interesting. They wrote the part of the genie for him, uh, and he wasn't sure about doing it. It's really interesting reading that they created, uh, they did some genie animation to some of his stand up. And showed it to him, and he kind of got that and thought that's brilliant. He wanted to do it, but yeah, he improvised almost all of his lines, and then they animated afterwards, which is obviously really rare uh, in the world of animation. But yeah, he did it um, for Screen Actors Guild pay, so he only got paid seventy five grand um, for playing Genie. Uh, but that then he put in these stipulations, which Disney went back on. Uh, and ended up, they did a couple of Aladdin sequels, which the first one he didn't do the voice with, but eventually no, they Home, made Homer up. Simpson did the voice. That's and he, Dan it, Castellana yes. did the voice for, I think, the second, the, the first two sequels at least. And That's it, and he, he eventually kind of made up with that, and I think it's because an executive left that he eventually kind of made up with Disney. But, but he, just in that film, you don't see him for the first half an hour of Aladdin. And Aladdin's good, I do like Aladdin, but... The moment he arrives on screen, that becomes a completely different film, um, and and so much for the better. 
So yeah, there's my three choices. Um, a little bit obvious, I know, but I really wanted to try and get um, Good Morning Vietnam in there, and, and but I, I couldn't. I, that that's my three. And Carol, what is yours? Um, I've gone for uh, some very different choices. Basically, two of them are more physical comedy, and one of them is again a voiceover. So my first choice is. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire because this is really the Robin Williams that I grew up with Mrs. Doubtfire I, I got this video in lieu of having fireworks on here mm-hmm. when I was about I don't know uh, probably about uh, 11 by the looks of it and um, yeah I just really enjoy it it's just a really good family film it was before I think people are fairly lumped this in with things like Patch Adams and Bicentennial mm-hmm. Man but I think it's a much better film yeah. personally Um and uh, basically, if you if you haven't seen it, then you ha- obviously haven't watched Channel Five at any point during the last ten years. Um, <laughs> it's uh, essentially uh, the story of a guy who gets divorced <clears throat> from his wife, but hatches a plan to see his kids more through becoming their nanny. And uh, how on earth his wife never actually sees through this disguise <laughs> is, is is skipped over. <laughs> it's it's akin to Superman putting on a pair of glasses, but. Um, yeah, it's just it's just really nice, and the and the bit at the end always gets me as well, where he's kind of doing the voiceover to his uh, to the people on the uh, on the TV show, and uh, you know it's it's really it's really kind of heartwarming, and, and you know there's a bit of physical comedy in there. There's a lot of physical comedy in there, but um, there's also quite a lot of pathos, especially in the kind of scenes with his wife. And I just think it's a really nice, it's a really good family film, and Pierce Brosnan is a, quite a good. He's not really actually a baddie, though, is he? He's just it's a guy a bit who sleazy, happens. Isn't it? Yeah, he's just a bit sleazy. Yeah, but he's uh, he's really good in it as well. Yeah. And it was the inspiration for Mrs. Featherbottom in uh, Arrested Development as well, which yeah will always oh, make course. me happy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. How could I? How can I neglect to to mention that? Um, so the second film I've picked is actually a remake of a, an old French film. I haven't seen the original, but I have seen this. It's called The Birdcage. And um, essentially the plot is that um, he, uh, Robin Williams' character and his partner, who's Nathan Lane, who I love, Mm. um, have to pretend to be uh, like a a straight heterosexual couple. So Nathan Lane ends up being in drag uh, through through lots of farce um, and they're in a nightclub and and, um, their sons, or um, Robin Williams' sons, um, girlfriend's parents are very, very straight-laced, so they have to pretend that they don't own a nightclub and they're like a completely heterosexual couple. And it, it's been a long time since I've seen this film, I have to admit. But um, it's just, it's just very, very funny. Um, I can't really remember an awful lot else about it to be honest. It's, but, um... it's no, it's a, it's such a great film. It, it, it's very, very funny. It's based on a French play and film, uh, but. Yeah, it's got a brilliant cast, as like you say, Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. But you've also got Gene Hackman uh, and yeah, Diane West. Yeah, he's the dad, isn't he? Um, Hank Azaria's in it. Christine Baranski's in it. Callista Flockhart's in it as well, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, she's the uh, fiance. That's it. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you on Nathan. I can watch Nathan Lane in everything as well. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's another great. Um, versatile performance from Robin Williams who gets to be uh very funny but like you say it's got it's got these uh moments of pathos and about a father son relationship and it, no, it's a great film and it's on Netflix um Netflix UK anyone who wants to stream uh, stream it uh, it's it's there to watch so definitely suggest that 
Yeah, I think I'm going to have to re- revisit that at some point uh, over the next couple of weeks. Um, and then my final choice is um, a voice performance, which he's, he's not in it an awful lot, but to be honest, I was struggling by this point, uh, which is AI, artificial intelligence. I will always put, ch- take any chance that I can to plug this film into, into oblivion because I love it so much. I know a lot of people don't. And they're wrong, but I, I really, I really love it. But he turns up as the, this was kind of the first time I really saw him as a, uh, this was the transition out of, um, family films and into this kind of creepy, uh, thing that he does. He's basically like a, a disembodied head. And I think he's based on Einstein, if I remember correctly as well. And he talks in riddles and he's, and he's, uh, basically trying to give David clues as to where he needs to go. He's one of those things where you put, put a coin and you ask a question he gives you an answer but it's such a creepy performance he's literally only in it for five minutes but it's so it's just so otherworldly and and so strange and it really kind of stays with you it's one of the in to be honest there are a lot of stand-up performances in the film but it's one of the ones that definitely stays with you a lot a lot longer than the screen time says it really should um i love ai (laughs) <laughs> I'll, I'll always I'll always try and get people to watch it again and reevaluate it. <laughs> okay, uh, on to my three choices then. Um, so two are going to be kind of the family films, um, the comedies that kind of grew up watching Robin Williams. But the first one is not like that at all. It's one that I've only seen recently. It's not one that's sort of that well known, which is a shame because it's a it's an excellent film. I know James has watched it today. It's called World's Greatest Dad, and he basically plays a single father um, and a teacher uh, who's also got a bit of a talent for writing and a passion for writing. His son dies during what can only be described as an asphyxi wank. <laughs> I was I, I was going to go with autoerotic asphyxiation, but asphyxia wank is a yeah asphyxia wank is yeah. I believe that is the correct term. His son is for... a complete douchebag as well. His yeah. son is just, just an uh, asshole. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, he want he obviously doesn't want his son's death by asphyxia wank to become public <laughs> knowledge. Um, how many times do we say asphyxia wank in this podcast? I, I don't know, you guys in charge now. As many as you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so he tries to just make it look like it was, um, rather ironically, considering what's happened to, to Robin Williams, a suicide because he was depressed and everything like that at school. Um, and he uses kind of his own talent for writing to, to forge a suicide note and to forge a diary and everything. Um, and it's a really dark film, but it's a really, really good and really interesting film as well. Um, as as Robin Williams' character Lance kind of proceeds through the film, and he starts to see all these people who wants the you know who who disliked and hated and bullied his son and teased his son, kind of come out pretending that they liked him uh, and, were, and were such good friends of him. And, it, and basically, not only is his basically him collapsing around him that not only is he not being able to deal with the lie that he's created but also he can't deal with the bullshit that is created um, around his son where everyone's kind of pretending that they were his best friend yeah so if they yeah 
it's a really cynical Bobcat Goldthwait type of film, actually. You know, it's very, very similar in tone to um, God Bless America. It's got Bobcat Goldthwait's um, view on the world, which is very funny but very dark, quite disturbing in some senses. Um, and, and it is it's really interesting that he decided to make a film about a kid who's really obnoxious who dies. <laughs> yeah, you start from that kind of point of view, and then the father takes advantage of it to start improving his life until he start, like you say, until he starts to think, actually, is that what I want my life to be? No, it, it's funny, uh, but it's not kind of laugh a minute funny. Uh, it's some stuff you'll wonder why you find it funny, um, but uh, it's it's a really really good film. So thanks for recommending that one, Steve. Um. Next up, it's probably the. I reckon this will probably be the first film that I saw Robin Williams in, and that will be Jumanji. I've still I mean, never seen it. Obviously, he's been in better films, but like I say, with everyone, get, a lot of people are going to be picking Dead Poets Society and Good Morning Vietnam and, and uh, Good Will Hunting and stuff like that. And after kind of picking one of his less well known films that I want people to watch, I just wanted to really go a couple of films that. I first saw him in, and I enjoyed growing up. Uh, so Jumanji is a children's film, fantasy film, uh, about two kids who move into a house um, in the attic. They find a board game called Jumanji, which basically comes to life, and it's set kind of in the jungle. Um, and Robin Williams' character has been trapped in the in the game for probably 30-odd years because the game, he played the game as a child and it sucked him in. And it's just a good kids' adventure film, really, isn't it? Essentially, that's that's what it is. It's good, it's enjoyable, uh, it's fun. Yeah, I, I, like I say, I never... I, because I missed that kind of period and I've never felt the need to go back there. If I went back to Jumanji as an adult and watched it, would I would I get something from it? I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. Um, maybe if you watched it with your daughter as well. I was going to say, maybe uh, when not, she's a little bit older, I'll watch it with her and then um, we'll get something from it that way. But, yeah, but it's got it's got Robert Williams playing kind of a manic character, so it's got him... It's got, there's a lot of action. He's been quite manic in it. There's there's comedy. There's he's also always, a few scenes he's where always he, worth watching. We, we, we've said yeah, that, so, there's, yeah. There's, there's always a bit of... There's a, a couple of bits in the film as well where he turns on his more serious side um, where he's kind of having a go at the kids because you know he's been trapped in this game for so long and don't seem to appreciate it. Where he kind of you know it's where he's it's just you know a couple of serious bits as well, but it's mostly just fun action adventure um, with a bit of humour in as well. Uh, and then on to what's probably a, a toss up between this and Mrs. Doubtfire for, uh, for his most well known um, family film role. And that's him playing Peter Pan in Hook. And it's obviously got the recently deceased um, Bob Hoskins playing Smee in it as well. Um, but yes, he plays the quite an interesting take on Peter Pan. Because obviously Peter Pan is the lost boy. He is a young boy, basically. But in this film, they've taken a completely different take on it. Um, and Peter has moved away from Neverland has become a lawyer. Uh, somehow, I can't remember how exactly, but he ends up back in Neverland and not really believing that he was Peter Pan, uh, not really believing in magic and any of that kind of thing. And 
but yeah, that's again just a fun, fun kids adventure film. Um, one that you remember from your childhood, like Jumanji, like um, Mrs. Doubtfire. Not really an adventure film, but you know that kind of kids film, enjoyable, fun film. Uh, and away from that kind of like, away from films with him in it, you know, stuff like the Goonies and things like that. It's just a fun kids adventure film with lots going for it. Um, enjoyable story. It's just a good performance yeah. from him as well as kind of um, a conflicted, grown-up Peter Pan. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I'd not seen that in absolute years, but my my recollection of it is it's you know Spielberg doing a great bit of you know family action adventure um which he do- which he does or yeah. did do really and certainly well. at that pe- in that period as well spielberg in one of his kind of you know sweet spots there alongside um uh jurassic park you know he, he was he was doing some good stuff then so yeah i um, yeah, no, i need to watch hook again actually it's, it like i say it's absolute years since i've seen it but I think I watched it around Christmas. I think it was on telly around mm. Christmas. So I ended up watching it then. It then. normally is. Yeah, it yeah. is one of those. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what did uh, the absent Owen pick as his free? Okay, his so free? Owen, like myself, also picked Insomnia. Uh, he said, underrated movie in so many ways. Nolan gets a lot of uh, stick from some, uh, certainly on a couple of the forums we go on for some reason. But he thinks this is as good as anything else he's made, really. Uh, gets the last good performance out of a washed-up Pacino, plus Robin Williams is fantastic in it. Uh, good Morning Vietnam, which I almost put on my... Uh, only saw it for the first time this year, really enjoyed it. He thought Williams would be too zany in it, but it was pitch-perfect performance. I guess the show can be mm, funny and poignant. He kind, he kind of mixes, doesn't he? Because he's obviously, as the shock jock army yeah. radio DG, DJ, he's allowed to do his... In his radio prof, yeah. yeah. He's allowed to be kind of manic, comedic... Um, improvised but then where he's kind of seeing the the horrors of reality of vietnam war he's playing his more serious side and yeah he does that really well as well exactly it's, a, it's an excellent film uh and then one hour photo again one of those films you saw not long after it came out on dvd hasn't seen since uh not a lot of detail sticking his mind except how bloody good williams was um and that at that point in time he only knew him from stuff like jumanji hook and aladdin miss doubtfire so seeing him as good as this is a creepy weird guy blew his mind uh he just mentions that yeah there were few better kings of comedy type of actors around mentions eddie murphy adam sandler jim carrey and he said he really stood toe to toe with them often outshining them even if they were arguably more popular um on balance he made utter shite in the genre yep <laughs> can't argue with that like the rest of them uh, he says robots flubber and popeye for example there. Oh, robots isn't that bad i've not seen robots actually it's um, all right flubber's all right. Fl- pretty whack yeah though. patch yeah. adams is bad. jack is yeah but at the same time as he said when he was good he was amazing um we asked on twitter a few people came back to us on twitter as well um so uh, our good friend uh, from Scott from the Glasgow Film Festival, Paul Fisher at Stakeheed, uh, Goodwill Hunting, One Hour Photo and Jumanji, yeah, great selection. Um, Paul at uh, Pafster said, World's Greatest Dad, Insomnia, Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, Brooker411 said, Good Morning Vietnam, Goodwill Hunting, Insomnia and One Hour Photo. He went for four, the maverick. And... Uh, uh, 
Ross Miller, Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji, one hour photo. There's a lot of kind of overlap there, but you know, what a body of work. If you just look at his good films, that in itself is a brilliant body of work. So, um, yeah, fair play. Yeah, um, that nearly rounds off the podcast for um, this week. All we've got left to do now is recommend some films for you to watch in the next uh, week or so. Uh, so, Carol, why don't you start us off with your recommendation? Um, my recommendation for this week is on Thursday morning, so if you're really, really quick, you might get it, on Film 4 uh, at 11 o'clock, uh, is Arietti which is the Studio Ghibli version of The Borrowers. Um, it's not their best film, but it's still very, very charming and, and well worth a watch. Um, yeah, and it's got... I, I don't know whether this one is the uh, the dubbed version. I presume it is. But it's got quite a good voice cast of it is, because I think Saoirse Ronan is Arietti, and uh, Mark Strong is the dad. Olivia Coleman's in there as well. So if it's if it's that version, it's still worth a watch, even though it is dubbed. Okay, uh, I have picked out Thursday, uh, five past one in the morning on film four. It's 28 days later, um, the first of that series of two films, uh, and probably the best of the two. Um, not a lot on TV this week, but if you're watching a film on terrestrial television, you're going to do far worse than watching that. And uh, James? Uh, yeah, and if there's not a lot on TV and you fancy going to one of those old-fashioned uh, video stores like um, HMV, like I did today, and I got my, I've, I'm cheating here, I've got two, I'd sorted out my weekend with my daughter and then on my own. In the On Saturday morning, we're going to watch Muppets Most Wanted, which is out on DVD this week, um, and she's already obsessed she just listened to the soundtrack over and over again. She's never seen the film, and I'm really excited to like show her that there's actually a story behind these um, these songs. So that's great. And then in the evening, once she's gone to bed, I'm going to watch The Raid 2, uh, which is also out on DVD and Blu-ray this week, which I've also bought. Um, yeah, so if, if, you're, if you're at a loss for something on TV, then The Raid 2 and Muppets Most Wanted are out there for you as well. Or what you could do is watch The Raid 2 with your daughter and then watch Muppets Most Wanted on your own. Yeah, that's world's greatest dad, right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite long though, isn't it? The raid two. Yeah, yeah, I, after, 40 I'm, minutes. yeah if, only, after forty yeah. minutes, if she said, "Is it is it nearly finished yet?" That's going to wind me up a little. <laughs> it's barely started, my love. Shut the head. <laughs> Sit down and watch the girl with hammers. <laughs> or she'll just run around and start trying to like kung fu kick you and fight you instead. No change there. Yeah. I, I'm just concerned she might pick up a hammer. Then <laughs> that's my worry. <laughs> Uh, yes, so, anyway, that's the end of this week's podcast. Uh, next week is, is a big one. No. James will, James will cry. Getting emotional I, already. I, I guarantee it. I, it's my mission to make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it'll be very difficult. I know no. like. <laughs> um, so yes, there's that to look forward to. Yeah. And obviously all our usual film related nonsense. Uh, so thanks everyone who's contributed and thanks everyone who's listened and we'll be back around the same time next week oh man this might be the one time I'm speechless oh uh, thank you so much for this incredible honour thank you for putting me in the category with these four extraordinary men thank you 
Ben and Matt, I still want to see some ID. <laughs> Thank you, Gus Van Zandt, for being so subtle you're almost subliminal. I want to thank the cast and crew, especially the people of South Boston. You're a can of corn. You're the best. I, uh, I want to thank the Mishpuka Weinstein, Muzzletoff. Uh, and uh, I want to thank Marsha for being the woman who lights my soul on fire every morning. God bless you. And most of all, I want to, I want to thank my father up there, the man who... Uh, when I said I wanted to be an actor, he said, wonderful, just have a backup profession like welding. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.